0: Welcome to The Poetry Gram, a podcast for poetry lovers that offers news, views and prompts to use in your writing. I'm your host, novelist and poet Helen Cox. You can find your free creative writing starter library, which includes a poetry polishing master plan and a publishing master plan at HelenCoxBooks.com. And here's the show. Hello, poetry lovers, and welcome to episode five of the Poetry Gram podcast. This episode is coming out slightly later in the month due to the fact that I am fighting a rather sexy cold and have been waiting for my voice to dehusk. It's still not quite there, so I sound sort of 8% more Kathleen Turner than usual. I'm not sure if Kathleen Turner is a verified unit of measurement, but I'm going with that anyway. So, as usual, I will start with a quick personal update before we get into the business of today's show, which is all about writing poetry inspired by fairy tales and myths. As I hinted last month, I've been looking into creating a sister publication for the Poetry Gram and have organised for a Poetry Gram annual to be published featuring work from our patrons and listeners, and that's going to be released in December 2019 in paperback, ebook and hardback. Full details on how to submit and participate will be announced in episode 6 and via social media channels, so look out for that. Um, I really can't wait to clear you up on that project, I'm very excited about it. Alongside working on Novel 4 for my publisher this month, I enrolled in a course on pamphlet making at the City Lit, which is where I coordinate in the writing department. The course I enrolled on is essentially a bookbinding course and being of a rather bookish disposition, I found the course utterly fascinating and inspiring. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'd like to give a little shout out to my tutor, Sue Doggett, who has been guiding me on how to put together a handmade version of my next poetry collection. Now, I'm still going to release a mass paperback version of that collection when it's ready um, through the usual online channels, but I'm also hand-making a smaller edition of 12 pamphlets that will have more artistic flourishes to them, such as origami paper folds, ink stamping and decorative spines, that kind of thing. And for anyone wondering why I would do this when I can just upload a Word document to KDP and have done, uh, the process of handmaking a pamphlet has undoubtedly connected me more with the craft of putting together a collection. It's made me think even more carefully than usual about which poems are where in the collection, how they're positioned. And it's helped me see where an addition or an omission of certain poems might actually enhance... The way the whole collection looks or feels. I probably will end up doing a whole episode on handmaking poetry pamphlets once I've finished the course uh, with poetry in mind uh, from that perspective, but this is just a small hint at the ways in which physically connecting with the craft of binding my own pamphlets has helped me develop the poetry I'm doing and the writing that I'm doing. Uh, okay, that was... A bit of a monologue but as you can hopefully tell I've been deeply inspired by this process so perhaps before I get you know accidentally set off on part two of that monologue uh, we should jump straight into this month's poetry news blast. This month's Poetry News centres around the Ted Hughes Award announcement. For those unfamiliar with this award, it was founded a decade ago now by the Poetry Society and the winner receives a £5,000 prize donated by Caroline Duffy from the fund she receives from the Queen for the role of Poet Laureate. As you may have gleaned from previous episodes, this show does not revolve around poetry awards and societies, but... This year, the Ted Hughes Award has been won by poet Raymond Antrobus for his collection The Perseverance, penned in the margins, and that charts, amongst other things, his experience of being a member of the deaf community, which is why I thought it was really important to mention it in this month's News Blast. Visibility for those with a disability in the media and arts, or actually in most arenas, is nowhere near what it could or should be. And that is part of what makes Antrobus's win such an important one. The hope is, at least from me, uh, that this award will underline the importance of reading uh, not just Antrobus's work, but also other works written by poets for, with some form of disability or alternative physical experience. Antrobus is definitely a poet to look out for on the bookshelf and it's exciting to think who else his poetry might inspire, who might otherwise not have had the courage to put words on the page. Okay having given you a little bit of news to think about and also done my little introduction it is time to get on to today's main topic which is writing poetry inspired by myth and fairy tale. I frequently teach a day workshop at the City Lit called Writing and Rewriting Fairy Tales and I have another tutor who will be teaching writing myths on the curriculum next year. The courses are invariably among our most popular showing that fairy tale and myth is still something that very much captures our imagination, even as adults. Before I get into offering some tips on how we might use fairy tales and myths in our writing, particularly our poetry, uh, we have a special reading from a poet who has written on this theme. If you enjoy reading works inspired by fairy tale and myth, I wholeheartedly recommend reading the Fairy Tale Review. This is where I discovered this month's guest speaker, Leslie Jenick. Leslie is the author of full length poetry collections Ghost of Fashion and Holy Island, and chapbooks How We Came Ashore and Punctum. She is the recipient of awards, fellowships, and scholarships from the Ohio Arts Council, the Virginia Center for Creative Arts, the Vermont Studio Center, the Soanee Writers Conference and the Academy of American Poets and she has kindly agreed to read her poem Motherese
1: mother is every language drowns itself a body may be sunk but a watch a shoe these float their foam to shore that's the parenthetical also somehow i'm a mother maybe an awful one i read to my daughter in our leaky rotted argo like a hull with a hole the sea king's daughter motherless rises to the surface of the sea is stunned by the sky at dusk a human town lit by electricity by birds even in their trees poor mermaid her every step on land is a knife stab whoso loveth suffering made for his daughter to loveth the word so it is my daughter and i afternoons go down the ravine see a fox In its mouth a squirrel, a clutch of deer, a hawk wrapped by the rabbit in its talons. Not all these every day, some days nothing, or just a blood trail where a possum dragged its signifier up out of the indivisible ocean.
0: such a great poem thank you so much leslie for contributing that to the show so now we need to turn our thoughts to our own writing when it comes to poetry where do we begin using fairy tale and myth most of us probably start out by using a fairy tale image or two here and there where it's a fit for the poem this is quite a good way of getting yourself into working with fairy tale or working with myth for example, Caroline Duffy in her love poem, "Hour" describes how love spins gold, gold, gold from straw. A clear reference to the fairy tale favourite, Rumpelstiltskin. Duffy has, over the years, used quite a range of fairy tales to inform her work and she's not alone on that score. So if you can see how the theme of a particular fairy tale or myth might fit with the theme of a poem you want to write it's worth experimenting with some of the imagery and see what comes out of it. This sort of brings me to a good first rule about working with fairy tale imagery and poetry in general in fact and that is I really want to encourage you to be playful. Fairy tale and myths themselves are playful often so don't be afraid to lean into that and see what comes out of it Uh, this often goes against our sensibilities for those of us who want to be seen as you know in inverted commas serious poets but in truth uh, the most poignant poems can be written through a willingness to playfully experiment with words and how they sit on the page imagery makes a natural starting point for poets in terms of playing with the fairy tale and myth genre But I want to also encourage you to think about theme and how you could play with fairy tale and myth themes in your own work. Myths, for example, often have a moral behind them. Fairy tales often have something similar. So thinking about the big themes of fairy tale, things like beauty and wealth and bravery, perhaps you could explore mythology and fairy tale tropes or themes through your poems by thinking about what those things mean to you personally. Do you necessarily think that money makes you rich? Do you necessarily think that the perfect complexion and long flowing hair makes you beautiful? What is it that makes a person truly brave? Perhaps you can tap into some of the experiences that you've had as an individual draw them into your poem and explore those ideas through the prism of fairy tale. Another approach to writing fairy tales and myths is through narrative poetry, sort of retelling a familiar story, perhaps in a new way or with a new interpretation not previously considered. Because these stories hail from an oral tradition, i.e. they were originally told, not written, it is possible that, hundreds of different versions once existed which means new interpretations are always possible and encouraged. If we as poets are going to go down this route it's important to recognise that these tales were written a long time ago and can seem unenlightened by modern day standards. If you'd like to twist a fairy tale into something more modern in its sensibilities while still keeping the recognisable ingredients intact, I recommend looking at three core elements of the tale itself. The first is agency. Giving your characters agency means making them active players in their own destiny. This is usually in a fairy tale or myth, the hero or the warrior in the story. This doesn't mean that they make all the right choices, there probably isn't much of a story in that, uh, but that they take action towards a goal, a dream, or a desire. Naturally, there are forces in the world that are bigger than us and push in a certain direction, but that doesn't mean that your characters have to become passive pawns. Uh, when we write Poetry or narrative poetry that involves storytelling, it's refreshing to write characters that push back, that react when they're not supposed to, or get themselves into fixes to sort of show the reader that the protagonist, the central character, whoever they are, has ideals, principles, and plans of their own, even if those aren't being respected by the greater forces of destiny and fate. Traditionally, in myths and fairy tales a great deal of the agency on offer was handed out to white able-bodied male characters. Women and characters from minority backgrounds did not get to partake in much of the action or if they did they were really strongly stereotyped. Your poetry however has the power to change that. What if the agency was given to a character who was originally left on the margins or who was originally thought of as evil? Disney dabbled with this a little bit when they made the film Maleficent. Uh, By my count, not exactly an award-winning example of storytelling, though lots of people did enjoy that film. But to me, it is interesting, if for no other reason, because it shifts the traditionally accepted view Uh, and insinuated that the old black-hearted witch actually loved Sleeping Beauty. In the original film, Maleficent is only given negative agency, i.e. she does evil, but in the new film, she does get an opportunity to do good. So maybe thinking about the characters that we know and love from fairy tales, could we write a poem that kind of twists our interpretation of one of those characters and changes the kind of agency they have or how much they have? Another element of storytelling worth looking at that I've just hinted at previously there is the representation in a story. And what I mean by that is the kind of range of characters that we're looking at, who is represented within the story. This is a slightly more complicated area than the first of Agency because the last thing I'm recommending here is that you lapse into tokenism i.e. including a character from a different background or sexuality or age range in your story or in your narrative poem, just to give the illusion of representation. If those characters don't have a real journey or an essential contribution to make to the plot, um, they're just kind of two-dimensional vehicles and, and nothing more. So if you're writing a poem um, about a character from a different background or a different sexuality or a different age group, um, show us the body, heart and soul of these people and explore how things like their mental health status, their background, their age, their sexuality affects their relationships in a sensitive and preferably compassionate manner. (laughs) The barriers they face, the connections they create give people who don't see themselves represented in literature very often an opportunity to explore their interior lives. In fairy tale, the prince does not have to be a man. In myth, the warrior does not have to be a man. None of the characters are forced to be Caucasian. The relationships do not have to be heteronormative just because that's what we've seen before. So I just encourage you as, as a poet to look at these stories that have gone before and and ask some questions about how they could be presented in a different way. This brings us quite neatly into the last element I'm going to put forward for your consideration <laughs> when you're writing poems about fairy tales, and that is the issue of consent. There's been some absolutely amazing poetry written about this issue. Um, but for some reason when it comes to fairy tales or traditional stories um, it tends to get people in a bit of a twist and they get a bit confused Um, so here's a golden rule for sort of modern day storytelling even if your story is based on something that is uh, quite traditional such as fairy tale and myth and that is if a character says no to physical contact and the love interest ignores this, or tries to verbally pressure the character into physical contact, this is not redeemable behaviour, or certainly not easily redeemable behaviour. I'm not going to prescribe to you and tell you what you can and can't write, but if you wish to show the redemption of a character who doesn't Mm -hmm. heed the rules of consent, then I do hope that you are prepared to put the perpetrator through every available ringer to make it clear to the people reading it that this is not okay behaviour. It's really time to write new stories about this issue, to try and create different social narratives. In a fairy tale, usually the price a character would pay for that kind of behaviour or for any behaviour that wasn't deemed uh, noble or correct is they're happily ever after they would lose out on that or at least they would lose out on a traditional one fairy tales and myths are not usually stories that help with the consent issues but regardless of the context it is possible to deal with consent in a sensitive fashion there are so many ways around the traditional consent issues in myth and fairy tale just due to the fact that these characters live in a world in which magic exists and is known to exist. So for example the true love's kiss moment could be paralleled with the kiss of life and characters could carry around cards a bit like organ donor cards that say whether or not they consent to being resuscitated by true love's kiss. All those cards are printed at birth and give some predetermined marker as to who their true love will be. A birthmark, a quest to fulfill, one blue eye, one green eye, whatever you like. <laughs> Just so Uh, Not anyone can come up and engage in physical contact with the person in question. And that is just one idea, one interesting idea to explore in a narrative poem. And there are hundreds of others, I'm very sure. And I really think it's important that we engage with this aspect of storytelling across all genres. Otherwise, we run the risk of reinforcing some very dangerous attitudes about romance and sexual practice. There are lots of different ways of twisting uh, traditional fairy tale narrative and myth to create new works and one modern fairy tale that explores the issue of consent is the short story The Cat Person which was written by Kristen Rupenian and published to great acclaim in The New Yorker. If you read that story Even though it's not a poem, it's still quite a valuable exercise to go in and look at how other people have used fairy tales. And if you read that story, you'll notice it uses its fair share of fairy tale language and charts a sort of shattering of a fairy tale idea. It wouldn't be viewed as a traditional fairy tale, but it riffs on a sort of alternative fairy tale structure, exploring alternative ideas about modern love. This kind of work shows us as writers just how elastic the ideas present in fairy tale can be. I really hope this has given you some ideas about your own approaches to writing poetry inspired by fairy tale and myth. As a rule, if you're writing a narrative poem, stanzas are often used in place of paragraphs, so as each unit of action moves on, a new stanza begins. So if you're thinking about structure, that is one way you can approach it. In addition to ideas discussed in this podcast there will be a free tips ebook on how to write poems inspired by myths and fairy tales and you can find that at helencoxbooks.com forward slash resources for poets if you'd like to read an example of a poem inspired by fairy tale you can read my latest poem which puts a twist on the fairy tale of snow white on my patreon page which is patreon.com forward slash helencox books <laughs> Before we Close up today's show. It's time to offer up this month's poetry prompt. Given our mythological theme today, I'm suggesting that this month's listeners try and write something on the theme of Gorgon's eyes. Now, the most famous Gorgon is Medusa, who had snakes for hair and could turn people to stone just by looking at them. She was eventually slain by Perseus. There are, however, other Gorgons referred to in mythology not least, Medusa's two immortal sisters, Steno and Eureli. So perhaps do a little research into Gorgons and see what comes out of the pen when you use Gorgon's eyes as your prompt. If you share your poetry to social media, please use the hashtag Poetrygram05 so we can find and share your work. Tuning in today's show. If you'd like to get in touch with us about the show, drop a line to Poetrygram at helencoxbooks.com. Follow us on Twitter at Poetrygram and check in with our host Helen Cox on Twitter at Helenography. More information about the show can be found at helencoxbooks.com/resources-for-poetry. forward slash resources for poetry. That's it for today. I've been Helen Cox, and this is me saying, morning and evening. Maids heard the goblin cry Come buy our orchard fruits, come by, come by Apples and quinces, lemons and oranges, plump unpecked cherries, melons and raspberries Bloom down cheap peaches, swart-headed mulberries, wild free-born cranberries, crabapple dewberries Pineapple blackberries, apricot strawberries, all ripe together in summer weather Morns that pass by, fair eaves that fly, come by, come by.